Well, good morning, church. Welcome to St. John again. My name is Dion. I want to welcome all of you who are church and you're, uh, you're joining us via live stream. We're really glad to have you too. Uh, one of the things that I love about this church is that there are so many people who've got different faith stories, different kinds of backgrounds. There are some of you who were raised in the church and you're baptized as a child and you grew up in the church. And then there are some of you who, that didn't happen for you until way later. You kind of came to this as an adult. Maybe we baptized you here as an adult or somewhere else. There are some of you who are here today and you are just exploring. And I love that. You're, you're just trying to learn more and trying to understand more what this is all about and who Jesus is. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I just, I believe that this is exactly what Jesus intended for his church. That people of all different kinds of backgrounds, from all different kinds of stories, that we can come together and we can grow together and we can serve and we can care and love for one another and we can worship together. That's what church is, uh, is meant to be. And as, uh, as, as I've kind of gotten to know people from different backgrounds, here's one of the things that I've discovered is that no matter what your background is, we all tend to have some common ideas that we believe about God, theological ideas, although we wouldn't necessarily think they're theological, but, but no matter what your background, no matter what denomination you were a part of, no matter, you know, even across different world religions, there's some common things that Hindus and, and Jewish people and uh, Muslims and Christians believe about God, and they may be true or they may be false, but they're just kind of these universal things that early on we tend to believe about God. In fact, I think you know some of those, don't you? I'd ask you, shout out, if, if, if there's, what are some of those things that we all tend to just kind of know about God, whether they're right or wrong, that we believe about God? Go ahead. I can't hear you online, but uh, the rest of you. That he's forgiving. Yeah, for some of us, that's, that's what we've heard, and that's a great thing to hear. What else? He's loud? Oh, love. He's love. That makes more sense. Okay, God is love. <laughs> what else? Everlasting. Everlasting. He's eternal. Omnipotent. Any, any negative stuff? No? Not here, only positive things. Uh, what, what about that God is judgmental? He's angry, wrathful. Or, or what about this? God is watching you. <laughs> remember the first time you came to grips with that idea? You probably don't even remember it because it's probably been something that's always been true. He sees you when you're sleeping. I know that was about another guy, but <laughs> same, same idea, Right? Um, we all tend to believe this if we believe there is a God, no matter what he looks like or it looks like, we tend to believe that, that he is watching, that, that he's, he's always there keeping record of what's going on. And so when you cheat on that test, you're looking off your neighbor's paper, he sees you, he's watching you, right? Or when you're out on that date, God is watching. Or you take that box of pens out of the supply closet at work, God is watching, right? You fudge your time guard. God is watching. God is watching you. We tend to believe from a very young age that God is, is keeping us under constant surveillance. He's taking note. This is so well-rooted in our general belief about God that uh, it was even picked up in the what is now an old movie, Bruce Almighty. In fact, there's a clip here for you. If you don't know it, Jim Carrey plays Bruce and uh, Morgan Freeman, the other guy, plays God. Take a look. Oh, I know quite a lot about you, Bruce. Just about everything there is to know. Everything you've ever said or done or thought about doing. Right there in that file cabinet. 
Wow, a whole drawer just for me. Yeah. Mind if I take a look? Is your line? That's not to be good. Last entry was a little disturbing. The gloves are off, God. God has taken my bird and my bush. God is a mean kid with a magnifying glass. Smite me, almighty smiter. Now, I'm not much for blaspheming, but that last one made me laugh. Are you spying on me? Who are you? I'm the one. <laughs> right. Anyone think their file cabinet's probably a little bigger than that, or maybe a little smaller? I mean, right? He's the one, and that means he's the one who is always always watching. Uh, today, I want to I challenge this idea, and really what I want to do is I just want to tweak it a little bit because it's almost true. It's almost true, but with just a subtle tweak, if you flip the script a little bit, it becomes much truer. While we may believe that God is watching us, and you may come into that firmly believing God is watching you, here's what I would like you to believe instead, that God sees you. Maybe for some of you, the difference between those things sounds like the difference between drinking a soda and a pop, right? You're just like, what's the difference? There's no difference. God watches you, God sees you. I think there's a big difference, isn't there? A God who's always watching, he's keeping surveillance, he's taking notes, he's got the file. A God who's watching may feel a little bit like a stalker at times. A God who's watching may feel like a gawker. You know, you drive by a car crash and you're, you're rubbernecking and you're, and you're watching it, but you're not, you're not going to do anything to help. You're powerless to help. But a God who sees you. That's different, isn't it? When you're alone, and by alone I I mean lonely, God sees you. Or when you feel forgotten or like no one else cares, God sees you. When you feel like you are invisible or your pain is invisible, God sees you. I mean, how many of you in the last week or last month had a near miss on the road driving? Anybody? You're almost getting in an accident? Yeah, you clearly don't drive Manchester Road as much as I do because um, I feel like I have them all the time. And it's always the other person's fault because I don't make any mistakes driving, but there are all kinds of idiots out there who do. And, uh, and, and, you know, there are those moments where sometimes you just miss an accident and you're yelling at the person, but there's sometimes when it's really, really close and you go, whoa. And you kind of realize that something happened. God stepped in the way. He intervened somehow. He spared you somehow. And you don't even know how it happened, but you're in one piece and so are they. And in that moment, you know, maybe you never put language to this, but you know that you've been seen, that God sees you. He saw that and he spared you. Or how many of you have experienced an act of kindness that came at just the right time? when you needed it most. And, and you're looking at the person who maybe is the deliverer of that act of kindness and you're going, how did you know? How did you know I needed this right now? And they didn't know. You realize that they didn't know. God sent them. He inspired them to come and find you. And in that moment, don't you feel so seen? Uh, as a church, we just finished our fiscal year end. We end our budget year at June 30th. And uh, we ended our budget year in terms of giving. We ended right on track. Get this, we ended 0.7% 
off budget, just zero point, it's less than a percent. Does anyone who's not an accountant think that less than 1% is basically on budget? I do. Um, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, praise God for that, and thank you for your generosity. It's amazing that 16 months ago, our CFO and some of our accounting people and our, our financial um, team, they're, they're, they were sitting down and they were, they were like, so what do we need to do God's work and how do we mix faith in that? And they put down a number and then God provides almost exactly to that number. It just blows me away. But, but personally, let me just tell you what that does for me. Because here I am, I'm, I'm the guy who is primarily responsible for, for trying to understand where God wants his church to go. And, and then after I understand that, I'm primarily responsible, again, not alone, but primarily, to stand up and say, hey, church, this is where I think God wants us to go. And then after I do that, all year long, I'm holding my breath, saying, God, did I hear you right? Are, are you going to come through? Are you going to provide? Do, do we have this right? And so when I get to the end of a fiscal year and we're 0.7% off budget, it literally makes me collapse on the floor in gratitude because I feel seen <laughs> and not just provided for, but, but, but I, I feel like God, God sees this little church in Ellisville, Missouri when he's got so many other things. I, I know that he sees us and he sees our hearts and he sees what we are, we are doing with faith and courage. He sees us and he's taking care of us. See, God is watching you. That creeps me out. God sees you, that blows my mind. And I think one of the ways that this gets even better, that God sees you, it's, it's not just that God sees your needs or uh, God sees and can provide for you, but here's what I love about this truth, that God sees all the way down into the depths of your heart and he sees, hear me, he sees the purposes that lie there undiscovered. Now, we spend, I, I, I haven't done the math, but we, we spend probably a billion dollars a year as a people, just in this country alone, trying to figure out our purpose. If you add up the books that we buy that we read about purpose, the inventories that we take or the training that we get trying to discover what our purpose is, if you add up how many times we change careers and the cost that brings to our families or the economies and, you know, the average person changes careers seven times, not just jobs, career, seven times in their work life. And if you are a young worker, by the time you reach age 32, it's expected you'll change jobs four times between college and age 32. Think about the cost of that. And then you think about how much money we spend on degrees and degrees that we never used and we spend all that money and we're not using our degree or going back to get a different degree. I mean, billions of dollars a year probably trying to figure out this purpose thing. And it's not our fault that the purposes of our heart are so hard to discover. I love what Proverbs says. It says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. You know, I'm talking deep waters. I'm talking those places in the ocean that we can't even go, where there are like creatures with 10 eyes and tentacles and teeth, you know, like stuff you would, you'd, you'd like weird it out. Like that thing exists on the earth because it's so deep. We can't go there. We don't know what's there. That's what your heart is like. It's, it's like deep waters. So it's no wonder we spend billions of dollars a year. It's no wonder that we lay awake at night sometimes just wondering, like, am I, am I doing this right? Am I missing it? Am I on the right track? Is, is there more for me than this? The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. But one who has insight, a person of understanding, a person of wisdom, draws them out. See, the best part for me of this truth that Jesus sees me 
is that that means he sees down to the depths of my heart. He sees the purposes that lie there, dormant, hidden, the things that I don't even know. And he's got the power not only to see them, but the power to call them out, to call them to life. Not only does he have the power, but he has an amazing track record of doing exactly that. Today we're going to look in Acts chapter 9, and um, you can get out your Bibles if you want. Here in the room, page 1100, or they're going to be up here on the screen. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. I don't. I just look at the screen. So um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, and it's the story of one of the most misunderstood people in history, a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And uh, some of you have grown up in the church, you know about Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to challenge you to, to listen to this with new insight. Um, but Saul of Tarsus was misunderstood not only by people around him, but he also was horribly misunderstood by himself. And we're going to see today as Jesus, only Jesus comes and, and begins to draw out of him a purpose that he didn't know was there and it's going to turn his whole life around. And here's what I believe that Jesus can do this not only for Saul, but he can do it for you. Now, what's interesting about Saul as we dive in is that Saul is a guy who, he was not sitting around, you know, sixth year senior trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And he wasn't a guy out in LA waiting tables, waiting for his next big break. Saul was a guy who thought he knew his purpose and he was living a life that was full. He was on the fast track. He's a guy who's ambitious. He's smart. He's driven. He stopped at nothing. He's afraid of nothing. And he is going after what he believes is his life's purpose, which is to stomp out the movement of Jesus. It says, meanwhile, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So, so Saul's purpose is to put to death this heretical movement, what he believes is a heretical movement, which is this movement of Jesus coming out of uh, ancient, ancient Judaism. Uh, so he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Jerusalem's in Israel, Damascus is in modern day Syria. Um, so he wanted letters, permission basically, so that if he found any there in Damascus who belonged to the way, now people back then weren't called Christians, they were called followers of the way kind of a cool name. Um, if, if he found any people there who followed the way, who were followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. Um, so uh, Saul does this. He, he goes and he gets these letters. And, uh, and, and again, he, he thinks he understands what his life is about. And he's going full speed ahead. He's there to stomp out this movement. But on the way, Jesus... Jesus does something. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul's pursuing his purpose. He thinks he knows there's light, there's a voice. It's the voice of Jesus, this one that he is set against, suddenly saying, no, 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 you've got it wrong. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, when we look at this, this phrase, what you must do, there are two ways to think about that, aren't there? There are the things in life that you must do because someone makes you do them. And if you don't do them, you're in trouble. So you got to pay your taxes. You must do it. Otherwise you might go to jail. Uh, your parents are, you know, waking you up in the morning, shaking you going, you got to get up and go to school. And you don't want to, but you, you know, you have to. It's something you must do because if not, you're going to be in trouble. Often when we read this, I think that's kind of where our mind goes. Jesus is going, Saul, I'm going to tell you what you must do. And if you don't, I'm going to bust your chops because I'm Jesus and you're in trouble. 
There's another way to think about this, though, isn't there? What you must do. See, there are things that you must do that no one has to tell you to do. And you don't need a threat of punishment or reward. There are things that you must do because they are so in line with your purpose. They are what you were created to do that you can't not do them. I don't know if you've ever watched the Iditarod, the sled dog race in Alaska. Beautiful animals that are you know, running through the tundra, pulling these sleds. And uh, as you watch them, it's, it's, there is like joy in these animals as they're doing this really strenuous thing. And the, the guy in the back, the musher, I don't know if that's what he's called, but the musher, um, you know, he, as he's leading the sleds, he's not yelling and beating the dogs. He's sometimes only whispering. And the dogs, they're, they're, they're just going with joy. Now, what's amazing to me about this is that I also own a dog. And she's nothing like this. <laughs> she doesn't do anything that she's supposed to do. Um, and you may blame that on training, and you're probably right. But, but it's not just training. See, it's also breeding. I'm pretty sure we've got this like eight-pound Havanese dog. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure she was bred to sit on people's laps and bark loudly. And so that's what she does. Um, that's, that's all she knows to do. These, these majestic creatures, they, they were bred, they were made for this. They were bred for this. This is the thing they can't not do. It's what they were made to do. It's what they must do. See, Saul on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears and he says, Saul, I'm going to show you what you must do. And we hear that as some sort of threat, like if you don't do this, you're in trouble. But I would like to put a different idea in your mind, and that is Jesus saying, Saul, I'm going to reveal something to you that is so powerful and transformative. It is a purpose that lies deep in your heart, and once I speak it out, once I show you, your life's going to be different. You will find, you will discover the thing that you can't not do because it's what you were made to do. It's what you must do. And I believe, again, that Jesus can do that for you. We're going to talk about that today. So the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. So God does this object lesson with Saul. He blinds him literally, but there's a deeper blindness that Jesus is dealing with. It's about more than just physical sight. Meanwhile, somewhere else in the city, there's another guy by the name of Ananias. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. He's a follower of Jesus, a follower of the way. And the Lord called, sorry, back there, we weren't quite there yet. Uh, Thank you. The Lord called to him in a vision. I love all the seeing words here. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. By the way, Straight Street still exists in Damascus, in the middle of the city. In fact, Pastor Doug Moss um, has a professor right now who's from Damascus who lives on Straight Street. So this isn't fairy tale stuff. These are real places. So he says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, again, all these seeing words, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Ananias gets this vision from God and he says, all right, Ananias, I want you to go and find this guy, Saul of Tarsus, and I want you to do a miracle. You're going to restore his sight. But Saul of Tarsus is not an unknown person to Ananias. (laughs) Look at how Ananias responds. He goes, Lord, I know that guy. Saul of Tarsus, I know that guy. 
I've heard many reports about this man and all of the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And I also know that he's come here with authority from the chief priests back in Jerusalem to arrest all who call on your name, which includes me. See, it's not only Saul who has a vision problem here. It's also Ananias. So, so, so God says, hey, I want, I want you to go and do this thing in Saul's life because I'm, I'm working on him. I've, I've got a plan for him. And Ananias goes, no way. Because what I see is I see all the harm this guy has done. I know about Saul of Tarsus and that guy is a zealot. He is a monster. He is dangerous. And what Ananias is not willing to, to accept is that, is that Jesus sees Saul differently. See, Ananias, he sees the zeal and he's afraid of nothing and stop at nothing and he, you know, he has the courage to do anything and he's a dominant personality and, and he sees that and, and he thinks he knows what that means. That guy's dangerous. And Jesus says, no, 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 you misunderstand. See, how many of us have lived that kind of script? I think more of us than we even realize that, that early on, Someone, someone saw you in a certain way and they called that out, they spoke that over you and from then on you've not been able to see yourself any different, any differently than that. And I wonder how many of us see ourselves, in fact, I'll go a step further, I will say every one of you sitting in this room, whether you, you think of yourself poorly or well, every one of us in this room, we see ourselves differently than how Jesus sees us. Jesus sees something different when he looks at you. He sees things that no one else can see. And I'm not talking about the bad stuff. I'm talking about the purposes of your heart. Look at how Jesus responds to Ananias. He says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Now, now hold on here. We're talking about Saul of Tarsus. He has killed people who follow Jesus he has done more harm to the movement of Jesus than anyone else at this point in history. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. I mean, any of us would say, that guy's an enemy. He's a bad guy. Saul of Tarsus. Jesus looks at him and he says to Ananias, no, no, no. You, you don't see him rightly. I want you to go. This man that you think is a monster, I see something different. This man will be my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I see him differently and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias, he went to the house and he entered it and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. I would argue that he can see differently now. He can see Jesus differently. He can see himself differently. And so he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength because Jesus sees differently. Now, this guy, Saul of Tarsus, later on became the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, the leader of the Christian movement for his lifetime, the writer of half of the New Testament. Why? Because Jesus sees differently. And that's not only true for Saul, but that's true for you. Jesus sees you. And I'm talking about the real you. I'm talking about the, the you that exists buried 
under a bunch of misunderstanding and misdiagnosis and a lifetime of stories and scripts that other people have put upon you. Jesus sees you. He sees what's down in the depths of your heart, the purposes that lie there that you don't even know about. Those things that keep you awake at night, those things that you long to discover, he sees those things so clearly. And and he also sees all the things about you that are obvious, your gifts, your passions, your skills, all of those things that are known that are pretty clear about you, he sees those things too that everyone else sees, but he sees those through an entirely different lens. He sees you, but he sees you so, so differently. And and what we need is we need to, to stop seeing ourselves the way our parents maybe saw us, the way we have grown to see ourselves, the way other people see us. We need to stop seeing. We, we need to be blinded for a minute, right? And just just not, not see anything for a little while so that we can start to see ourselves, what's in us, what God wants to do with us so that we can start seeing it like Jesus does. See, how do you get there? How do you get to see what only Jesus sees? First, you ask him. You ask him, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is powerful. Jesus, Jesus, what do you see when you look at me? And maybe you've never asked that question because you're afraid of the answer. But I'll tell you, every time I've asked this question, afraid, that he's gonna, he's gonna you know, I see a guy who messed up last week and did this today, and he's gonna give me the list. That's not what, that's not what I hear from him. See, Jesus doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. And when you ask him, you will be surprised. Again, I don't care who you are, how long you've been at this, you will be surprised at how he answers. Do you know that this is one of the things that made Jesus so insanely popular during his ministry? Other religious leaders, they walked around and they they taught people and they talked to people in a way that was congruent with how people already saw themselves. So they walked around and they'd preach to people and they'd be like, you know what? You are a bunch of chronic disappointments. And people go, yep, we are. And you have failed God in so many ways. And they go, yep. And they look at people who are blind or paralyzed or people who had epilepsy or people who had leprosy. And they would say, you know what? The reason you're suffering is because someone in your life sinned. Maybe it was you, maybe your parents. And the people go, you're probably right. I've messed up a bunch. I'm getting what I deserve. And the religious leaders back in Jesus' day, they'd go around and they'd tell people and they'd say, and if you want to be pleasing to God, here's what you need to do. You need to work harder. You need to dig deeper. You need to become a better person. And then maybe you'll be pleasing to God. And everyone tolerated that teaching. Why? Because that's what they already saw when they looked into their own hearts. That's what they already believed about themselves. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. And this is what made him so crazy popular. Is that, is that he saw people differently and he spoke a different vision over the people of his day. And so while the other religious leaders are going, you're a chronic disappointment, you failed God, he's so disappointed in you, Jesus said, no, 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 you are chosen and you are loved. And the reason you make so many mistakes, the reason that you hurt people, the reason that you make your life into a mess is because you're lost. And what you need is, a, is, not, is not a punishment. You need a shepherd who's going to help you find your way back to life. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm, I'm here to help you. Jesus talked about the father as one who was not chronically disappointed, but he talked about the father as one who longed to gather people to himself, to love them and to lead them and to reveal to them things that are buried inside of them that sin and, and, and confusion and, and darkness and the devil have covered up and... and, and and Jesus, he spoke a different vision 
over people. I don't care what it is that you see about yourself. You don't see yourself rightly unless you've taken time to ask Jesus what he sees because only Jesus sees you rightly. You, you don't have the vision for that, but he does. And then after you've done that, only after you've done that, you can ask others. And Proverbs gives us some counsel here. Don't just ask anyone, but ask people who are wise. Ask people of insight. Ask people of understanding. Now, you probably know someone like that. Not, not infallible people in your life, but you know someone who you think is wise. You know people who are insightful, and then you know people who, they just tell you what you want to hear. If you find people who are wise and understanding, and you ask them what they see, Again, their advice, their, their perspective isn't perfect, but here's what so often happens. As they begin to speak, they will say something in the course of speaking, and it will resonate with something that God is already speaking deep down in the depths of your heart that you can't hear yet. But the moment they speak it, it will resonate, and the spirit of Jesus inside of you will leap forward and say, listen to them, that's it. I was a college freshman sitting in a guidance counselor's office, and I was there because I didn't have a major, and this was his job to help me declare a major. And the reason I didn't have a major is because I was at this liberal arts Christian school that I had no intention of ever going to, and somehow I found myself, found myself there, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. And so this uh, guidance counselor is, is going over a list of possible majors in this really just, you know, rudimentary way, and he's like, all right, so, you know, would you like to be a teacher? And I'm like, No. Uh, would you like to be in business? No. Would you like to be a lawyer? No. Would you like to be an accountant? Oh my goodness, no. You know, no, no offense to accountants, but you know, I'm just like, no, no, no. And I go through this list and probably you know, two dozen things. And then he says, what about a pastor? And it wasn't Damascus Road. I didn't see lights. I didn't hear voices. I didn't see angels you know, appear before me and start singing. In fact, there was nothing in me that actually said yes. But here's what happened. As he said that, there was something in me that resonated and I couldn't say no. And there was an awkward pause and I just waited for him to keep going. But because he was a person of insight, a person of understanding, a, a wise man, he said, no, that's interesting. You just said no to about you know, 25 things, but you didn't say no to that. Maybe, maybe that's something you need to keep praying about. See, one of the things that I love about Jesus more than anything else, one of the things that I'm more grateful in life than just about anything else is this truth that Jesus, he sees me. And that even the people who are closest to me, people who work with me, my family, the woman I'm married to sitting right there, they they see a part of me, but Jesus, he sees me like no one else does. He sees what is at the depths of my heart. He sees the bad and the good. He sees my potential like no one else can. He sees my calling and my purpose like no one else does. I'm so grateful for that. And here's what I want for you. I want so badly for you to begin to see yourself, just like I want for me to begin to see yourself in the way that Jesus sees you. But here's here's what I can promise you, that Jesus can write a script for your life that you would never imagine, never dream, never have the courage to write for yourself. That's the life I'm living, by the way. This thing, this life that I find myself in, I never in a million years would have had the imagination or the courage 
to write this script for myself. No way. This is something that only Jesus saw and he was good enough to speak it over me and call it out of me. And there are days that I go, Jesus, are you sure? Are you sure that I'm the guy for this? Because I don't feel like the guy today. I, I don't... I feel like someone could do this better. I, I, I feel unworthy. I feel unequipped. My, I've got way too much brokenness and baggage in my life. And he keeps saying, I'm sure. See, that's only something Jesus can do. Jesus, he sees you. And he sees what's in the depths of your heart. He sees purposes li- that lie there undiscovered, that lie there dormant. He sees them so clearly. And he sees you through a lens that no one else sees you. If we can only stop seeing ourselves the way we've grown accustomed and start to see ourselves the way Jesus does, it will change your life. You'll find yourself living a script that you never could write for yourself, but it's a script, it's a life that only Jesus could give you, just like Saul, just like me. It's something only Jesus can do. Today we're gonna um, conclude our service in just a moment with communion, which is really so intimate and incredible. One of these signs that God sees you. Before that, though, I want you to take some time and I just want you to have a conversation. It's customary that we confess before communion and I guess that's what I want you to do, but I think you already know the nature of the conversation that you need to have because God's Spirit's been speaking to you today. And for some of you, it's just asking Jesus, Jesus, what do you see? And starting that conversation. And for some of you, it's confessing that you've never asked that question before and you've built a purpose. You've built a life for yourself without ever asking him. And it may be a good life, but you've never asked the one who sees you more than anyone else. And you just need to admit that and confess that and ask for his help. And for some of you, you know exactly what Jesus is saying. You know exactly what he sees. He's in speaking it over you, but you have, you have lacked for courage. You've been afraid. You've been doubtful. And so you've been just closing your ears to it, to the vision that he's speaking over your life. Maybe today you need to confess that. I don't know what you need to do, but I know you need to face Jesus. I don't have the answers, but he does. So take a moment with him.